Hello and welcome to this episode of the Healthy, Comfortable, Happy Podcast. Before we start, this episode contains a lot of conversation that might be triggering for some of our listeners. If that sounds that it might apply to you, please be sure to check the show notes for a number of websites that might be able to help you. Enjoy the show. Okay, so welcome to episode two. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Neil Thomas, alongside my wonderful partner, Sass James. Um, And today, uh, episode two is, uh, I guess, the first part of two, uh, where we're going to talk about us a little bit. It's not to be um, kind of big headed or, you know, that we love the sound of our own voices. But it is to give you a bit of an idea and a bit of context as to why Sass and I have started this podcast. So welcome to today's episode, Sass. You're officially the first guest. How exciting slash very nerve wracking. Um, (laughs) But thank you for having me on, Neil Thomas. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah. So um, so we're going to start off like we're going to do, you know, today's episode is going to set the set the template for all our other guests. So our first question will be to every guest, what does well-being mean to you? Okay, so um, we have discussed that this is obviously a biggie of a question, particularly as um, it's all about well-being. So well-being to me is all about finding that balance in life, that balance of, um, you know, harmony, you know, having the right um, happiness. We obviously can't be happy like all day, every day, but being able to, you know, feel happy within your body, within your mind, with with where you are, your purpose, um, what you're doing. And I think well-being is such a big package that you really need to work out what makes you happy. And I think for me, that that really is the start of of well-being and it's it's a journey it is a journey well-being and I'm not quite sure that you can like tap it all down on a piece of paper simply so I'm hoping that I'm going to continue to search well-being throughout our podcasts and um, and that will hopefully develop for me as well so yeah I'm not really sure I answered it but it's a journey that it's a journey I'm finding happiness on a daily basis I think it's a great answer. I think it's um, well-rounded, well-thought um, and yeah, very precise because it is a huge question as you identified at the start. So I guess that naturally leads into the next question, which is why then is well-being and then subsequently, obviously, as to, or you deciding to become part of this podcast so important to you? Yeah, I think um, it's quite interesting because at the moment we've got sort of two words that are so similar um we've got well-being and wellness that are out there a lot at the moment and you know why why well-being why have we chosen that term and I feel like well-being is you know a lot of this podcast is going to be based around mental well-being but there's also you know physical well-being as well which 
as a PE teacher is something I've obviously felt very passionate about for um, most of my life. And but I've experienced through my life people being affected mentally and that knock on effect and how um, that causes people to take certain routes, certain directions, how it impacts, you know, the next stage in their life, either positively or negatively. It's really interesting to reflect back and have a look at what, how that's, how that's changed people or affected people. So well-being is a big buzzword at the moment. And I think there's a lot that we can talk about with it and a lot that we can implement into daily life really easily, like little tiny things. And I kind of hope that's what people might take away from each of our episodes on here is something that they might be able to try and implement positively to help promote their well-being, either physically or mentally, um, really positively. So I think that's why it's so important to me because it's something that you can achieve and but it I don't think it's as simple as it seems. No, I'm a, I think um yeah, it's I think you mentioned it in in your explanation of what well-being means to you in that um there's probably never an end point. Like I don't think anybody is if you took like a wheel of everything that's involved with your life and you fill that wheel in to measure all those different sectors of that wheel, I don't yeah. think anybody really in the world um, could say that they're 100% full on each one of their sections, family, work, recreation, health and fitness, um, general happiness, uh, relationships, like all those life is such a complicated thing. Um, and, and well-being is like a huge picture uh, of someone's lives. But, you know, you're spinning so many plates on a day-to-day basis, never mind if you think about a year and then the first five years of your life, 10, 15, 20, 30. Um, yeah, it's it's such a huge area. I think it's really interesting you made the kind of highlighted the two words of well-being and wellness. Can you mm. explore that? Like, what what did you mean by why did you identify those two, I guess? Well, I think wellness is something that has been talked about for longer. And it's all about sort of what is wellness, what is wellness. And we talk about, you know, maybe a uh, good diet, um, fitness and things like that. Whereas I think wellness sits within well-being. I think it's a part of well-being. I think well-being is is a is the bigger picture that you were just mentioning and talking about your relationships, your work, um, as well as your food, your uh, your attitude to fitness, your attitude to you know social media, to things that are going on in the world. And I think well-being has all of that encompassed within it. And I think we can look at it, break it down, and then address areas that maybe need a little bit more refining to to ultimately allow us to really be present and joyful in the moment, find those like really special moments. And I think, you know, wellness kind of sits with things like mindfulness and there's just a lot of buzzwords at the moment. And I think maybe it's overwhelming for people and it's too much sometimes. And I just think let's just address well-being because it is a big picture. And um, 
I'm really excited to be able to look at the different aspects and how different people interpret well-being. And um, I just, you know, I think going forward, it's going to help me as well. You know, hopefully with my physical and mental well-being, those are the two main um, headings of well-being. So I'm not sure if I really answer the question, but I'm hopefully through this podcast, I will be able to explain sort of why I'm why we're here now. Yeah, and I guess, you know, I think you touched upon, um, you know, your background as a PE teacher, not background, that's what you do for your career. Um, and, and obviously wellness, well-being, you know, forms a huge part of the curriculum. Um, but I guess there must, you know, there are aspects of your private life as well. You know, work isn't everything, is it? So um, are there any factors from a personal perspective that have kind of, uh, prompted you to you know get this wider discussion about well-being underway yeah okay so I suppose if I look all the way back um, I would describe my childhood as joyous like I am so lucky that I look back and my childhood was um, just full of fun and love and laughter and family and friends and I really have to thank you, my mum and dad for bringing, you know, raising me in, in a family just filled with love. And, you know, that's obviously now what I am aiming to do uh, for my own children, to, to allow them to have that same experience. And we spent time abroad in the Middle East, which is another reason why I wanted to move to the Middle East, because my parents did it and they had such an incredible time. So I wanted to replicate that as well and try that adventure and that challenge. Um, we moved around a lot um, until I was about seven. And then, you know, school, I just remember school just being fun. It was just fun. And I had lovely friends and I can literally pinpoint single moments where I felt a bit sad at school. Um, and But that's literally about it. And I think my first experience of negativity in my life was when I was 14 and my dad got diagnosed with cancer. He was healthy man, he was fit, he didn't smoke, he looked after himself, he was sporty. Um, and it was, so at the age of 14, you're quite all, all involved in oneself and, you know, being a teenager, like, you don't, you don't, you're kind of worried about like what's going on in your life. And the truth is cancer never stepped into our house. I know that sounds a bit strange, but my dad, my dad had it, but he never brought it home. He was still himself. He was lively, bubbly. And looking back as an adult, I'm not really sure how he found that energy. Um, but it just shows that he had a, an incredibly positive mindset his glass was way over half full and his attitude towards it was fine I'm just going to beat this you know what what do I need to do he was a young man and they they said you could try this and this you're fit you can have a go he was like yeah chuck it all at me do whatever you need to do I, I'll be your guinea pig for everything obviously I didn't know all of this at the time because I was only 14 so he used to go up to hospital, he used to come back, he used to continue to watch me play sport. 
um, himself and one of my friends. They were the two dads on the sideline. And it was joyous. So for me, it was joyous because there was my dad. He wasn't at work. He couldn't work. He was watching me play sport. He was shouting at us all on the side. It was great. And I felt very lucky that, and I really thought he was going to beat it. And I think we all thought he was going to beat it. And he did. He he beat, he was, he got the all clear in the, in the Christmas. And we had an amazing Christmas. And my mum and dad went away to Paris for her birthday. And it was, it was awesome. And then unfortunately, the cancer came back pretty much exactly a year from the day that he first got diagnosed with it. And he went back into um, bloody mindedness, you might say, and was like, right, bring it on. What else? Come on. I've done it once. I can do it again. Um, that was, that's what I saw. And I was definitely protected by my dad, by my, I think my mum was also protected as well. He really didn't talk to us. He, he spoke a lot to the, to the Macmillan nurse, um, who was incredible, but uh, just unfortunately it took, a, it took a month after he was diagnosed and he went in, it had gone into his lungs. He originally had it in his esophagus. It went into his lungs. And I remember going into the Royal Marsden after he had had a lot scraped out of his lungs. And I, I felt very dizzy and fainted, dramatic, 14-year-old, what? <laughs> and I was 15 at this point. Um, and, and I was like, oh, I'm so embarrassed, blah, blah, blah. And, and I had to get home. And he, I remember him being so worried about me. Like, there he was, just come out of like an op, super worried about me, who just passed out in the middle of the hospital, super embarrassing. Um, and then the next morning I woke up head to toe covered in spots and I had chicken pox. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing as a 15 year old. So my greatest concern at that point was, will I get spots on my face? I can't get spots on my face. I'm 15. That's mortifying. So I, were, I wasn't then obviously allowed to see him because of, um, you know, him catching infections and everything. So I would write to him and my mum would take the letters up. And I remember writing this one letter and being like, oh, horrendous, you won't believe it. I've now got 20 spots on my face, dad. What am I gonna do? I'm never gonna be able to go out again. What if they scar? Blah, 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 drama, drama. And um, that, what, that ended up being my last uh, letter to him, my last communication with him. And unfortunately, he passed away that, night um but he he will I always believe the cancer won the battle but it the cancer didn't win the war the cancer never beat him his mindset it beat the cancer beat his body and they're, they're two very different things yeah. he would have kept going literally hours before he died he sat in that hospital ward next to my mum and he managed to like drink a gin and tonic and he was obviously in horrendous pain feeling horrific but to make my mum feel happy and content not that she had asked for it at all but he knew that would bring her calm and you know she thought that he was fine um because he did that and that was their last little moment together which is really special and 
the nurses all said, you know, just to let you know, as a family, the last thing he had in his hand was this letter, which was the letter that I wrote to him. So in my mind, he knew those last bits. I mean, it was all about me feeling sorry for myself, but I did say at the end, I love you very much. I can't wait for you to come home. So at the age of 15, losing my dad very drastically, I had two options. I could either allow it to completely crumble my mindset. I could become very destructive. I could be very negative or I could live the way my life, live my life the way my dad lived. And that was by having a very positive mindset and by being very positive. So I did. And I I grew up instantly that night. I grew up and I can remember everything about that evening from picking up the phone, from knowing that we were watching ER on TV when we got the phone call to Every there's like certain bits of the M4 going into London that will always remind me of that night. There's a bridge that I drive under that always reminds me of that night. And, um, you know, it's, I, from that moment I grew up, I, I moved from being a 15 year old who felt sorry about having chicken pox to, to living in a bigger bubble. And it's, it's made me who I am. And had he not passed away, obviously we would rather he was still with us, but it allowed me to grow. And I think that's a really positive, I think that's my first significant step in my life to being positive, having a good, um, being really strong about my mental health. So I think what I'm trying to say on this bit is that obviously I was very scared going back to school because of what I knew, none of my friends at school had experienced this. And I didn't really know how to communicate with my friends again. And my my school were amazing. My class was amazing. And I remember thinking, right, how am I going to do this? Because I, I want to go and I want to feel normal. I want school to feel normal. That's really important. So I wrote a letter and bless, I made two of my best friends read it out in front of the class before I got there. And I think they did so in tears. But um you know, they they were very good friends that are still in my best friends today. And I went into school and everybody treated me perfectly normally. And it was exactly what I needed. Normal routine, normal, just allowed to laugh because it's okay to laugh, right? There's things that are going to be funny. So it's okay to laugh at the funny things. Um but at the same time, I remember having days where I was cross. I was like so cross. I was so negative. I was so angry. Like, why had it happened to us? Why had it happened to him? Um, and I actually like threw over a stack of chairs. Oh, crazy. I was a really good girl at school. So that was like, people were like, whoa. Um, but why in reflection, what I realized is there was very little support like structured support in place I was really fortunate that the head teacher and the deputy head were outstanding with their pastoral care themselves but there wasn't anything actually formally in place 
for children who have lost. There was Child Bereavement UK, which is actually based um, locally, but there wasn't anything uh, maybe for the staff to be able to use themselves to put into place to be able to support me. They were just very kind and very, they were just great teachers. Mm. So I felt very lucky to be surrounded by that. Um, but there was, I had no formal counselling. I had no formal anyone to talk to in that sense. And I'm fortunate enough that at that time I didn't need it. However, when I turned about 23 and my mum started dating again after eight, you know, it was eight, nine years of being on her own, like literally on her own because it was just her and me at home. And then I went to university. Um, I remember she brought him home and she said, we're going to have a dinner party tonight. And I was like, cool, that's fine. I'm going out for dinner. Great. Blah, blah, blah. And she said, and he's going to stay over, darling. Well, I literally, the shit hit the fan. It's the only way to describe it. Excuse my language. Um, and I literally went back to being a 15-year-old and I reacted like a 15-year-old for the very first time to my grief because I didn't react like that when I was 15. And I literally screamed and shouted and had a tantrum that was probably more like a three-year-old than it was a 23-year-old. Um, to the shock of my um, boyfriend, who is now my husband, so that's okay because he's he loves me. So um, it, it shocked everybody. And I stormed out of the house and I was like, I am not staying under the same roof, blah, blah, blah. And it was at that point I realised I hadn't coped with my grief fully. And the way it got, and, and that was when I got my first bit of counselling for it and this woman described it in the perfect way for me and she said you are it's like you are holding on to a balloon your dad is a balloon and I said I'm not I've I've accepted it I know he's died I've learned from it I have I've been traveling because of it I have I've lived in the moment I've done things because of him I've been brave I've been strong because of him and she said no no bear with she says, you're holding onto the balloon, but the balloon's in the cloud and you can't see the string. And she said, you think you've let go of the balloon, but you're still holding on tight, really tight. And she said, just let the clouds go, let the clouds disappear. Allow yourself to see the balloon again, being your grief. And then when you're ready, you'll let the balloon go. And I was like, whoa, blow my mind. And that acceptance that grief can take so long to overcome, like it's not something that just happens in a nanosecond. And grief can be in the form of so many different things. Can't just be literally someone passing away, but it can be literally the loss of someone in your life that they're just no longer in your life. Um, and I think that's when men, like mental health, mental well-being really started to evoke an emotion in me and a passion. And I realised I'm not the only one. And I've always, always felt very comfortable talking about my dad uh, and the fact that he passed away 
but the strength and the courage that that gave me to go traveling on my own when I was 19, much to my mum's, she was pretty mortified about that. But yeah, other side of the world, had no mobile phones then. The only time she could communicate with me was through email or when I called her once a week to tell tell her that I had done a bungee jump or a skydive. I had to do that after I did it because otherwise she would have taught me out of it. But I really, at that point in time, People might have said I was quite mindful because I really lived in the moment. I lived in the present. There was no planning for the future because you didn't know what the future brought. Just really that like that joie de vie, just, just go for it and just love every moment of what you have now. And I feel really fortunate that I managed to have that experience. But it was because of that. I realize now it was because of being 15 and experiencing grief then. So as I was then growing up, what I next saw, which was of significance to me, is one of my very best friends struggle with her mental health and her mental well-being. She was in an an incredible job. She um, was a probation officer. She was amazing at her job, but she had massive, I mean, we could call it burnout. Um, I don't know if a breakdown is the right term for it, but she couldn't work. She had to be at home. And I remember being on half term and saying, can I take you out? Can we do something? And she was like, okay, okay, let's do something. And I was like, do you want to go for a walk? Or she was like, no, that sounds exhausting. So I took her to the cinema. So I literally picked her up, popped her in the car, drove in silence to the cinema because that was exhausting within itself, just getting into the car, stepping out of the house. And we went to the cinema, silly movie. I probably roared with laughter the whole way through it. Um, She managed to get through a tiny bit of her popcorn, put her back in the car. It was like having like a little baby with me. I put her back in the car and she was exhausted like nearly falling asleep on the way home. She was like, thank you. And I'm talking someone who was life and soul of the party. And all of a sudden I was really experiencing what potential depression looked like, what um, struggling with mental health looked like. And she was in a job where she was emotionally and mentally demanded of throughout her whole working day. And they had programs in place where they were able to talk to each other, but there wasn't enough time. There's not enough money. And it was shocking to see your friends, someone so dear to you, go through that. And I'm really proud of her because she is so aware of her mental health now. And she is so strong and she is looks she has a very good attitude towards her physical and mental well-being now and she is totally aware of those those signals so it just goes to show that you can come out the other side if you're lucky enough if you have the right support if you make the right choices um but these were all the 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 starting points and that growth of really wanting to know how to look after our our mental health and our mental well-being now being a teacher I was fortunate enough to take on loads of pastoral roles so that connection with like young people started then 
and listening to what they were going through and how they were struggling um, was quite hard at times. I think, Neil, you would agree that, you know, in a teaching profession, we've both been exposed to seeing and listening to children have to struggle, right? Yeah, so, yeah, teaching can be a very difficult job in that way, in that, you know, um, you're there to support a student in any which way that you can. Yeah, so I think schools hold a really important part of um, mental health and mental well-being for students, like you said, Neil. Um, And I've had the uh, fortune to be able to take pastoral leads such as head of year, and that has allowed me to see how young people are being, how their mental health and their mental well-being is being affected nowadays. Um, I feel really passionate about the impact of social media on uh, young young people, but also now many generations and the impact that social media has on them. It can be such an incredibly positive platform to share knowledge and information and ideas and all sorts of things but also at the same time I also feel that it's a really toxic thing and it has really negatively impacted so many individuals people who are potentially vulnerable um, through things like how how you look what you think what you read um, who you listen to all of these things are constantly being judged by other people by keyboard warriors by people you don't even know and so many people can access things that are are potentially dangerous and I find that terrifying and I'm I feel so lucky that I didn't have that growing up I just was able to just enjoy my childhood and not be judged and there aren't photographs of me with no selfies like out there in the the world wide web thank goodness um but that is how we live our lives. And we're not going to get away from that. Okay. We're, we're not going to, social media is going to be here. There's going to be so many different platforms. There's, you know, we've obviously had Facebook, we've got Instagram, there's Snapchat. There's so many other things that I learn on a daily basis from my students. TikTok, you know, things that start off being really positive, really fun. But, you know, one of my students said to me, even TikTok is really negative now, miss there's stuff on there that's like horrendous. I'm like, how can something that started off being a dance craze now be impacting people so negatively with their mental well-being? Um, and it's all these things. And it's just, it's just years of watching young people struggle and not having maybe the, the most formal education to be able to manage it as, as a teacher, as someone who can support them. And I really feel that there's so many schools doing so many incredible things for mental health and mental well-being. And, you know, I just want to say a massive high five to them. And I've worked in schools that have done that. I currently work in a school that is really strong on it, but I think it needs to go higher. Like I really, the government are talking about it. Like people big are talking about it, but 
I really feel like there's so much talk, but where's the action? Let's actually see it being put into place. Let's allow space in the curriculum. Let's stop putting pressure on these kids to just achieve letters and numbers. And let's really address their mental and physical well-being. If, we, if, if we're prepared to talk about it as grown-ups, then let's do it. Because there's generations that have been missed. These generations that have grown up with the introduction of social media, but we haven't protected them. And these are the kids that are the ones who are increased suicide rates, particularly within males. And we need to address it. And we are. And people are talking about it. And it's amazing. And we really, I don't know, I'm hoping that by continuing to talk about it, I really want something higher up to happen. Maybe because of this podcast, maybe because of the people that we can get to talk about. And maybe just because one person's going to listen to it and they're going to think differently about their approach to things and their own mental well-being. And it's going to make their life slightly more positive. I don't know. But I am super passionate about it and I just want children to be able to have children, young adults, adults, big people, I don't know, anyone to just have a really good balance on, on their lives and being able to just take control of their lives and their mental well-being and be able to just live a happy existence. So that's why I'm here. That's why we're here, Neil. Because, 100%. right? Um, yeah, I have talked a lot. I am so sorry. No, well, first of all, I want to thank you for um, being so amazingly open and honest. You know, I've known you for a long time now. And um, yeah, what you shared with us today, um, for those of you that don't know Sass, uh, everything that she's just said about her mum and dad. I know her mum very well, obviously, never got to meet her dad, but um, everything of that Sass has mentioned about him having such a positive mindset is totally reflected in, in his daughter. And um, anybody who knows Sass uh, will know that, yeah, she is she is the go-to person in the in the staff room, in the P department, in anywhere in life if you hang around with her socially to if you want to feel better about yourself you go and see sass and um yeah she's an amazing person so uh, yeah i think someone will be very proud um that's very kind of you <laughs> yeah well it, it's the truth and um you, and similarly you know you're doing everything that you said at the start of your conversation you know with your two young girls uh and your incredible husband you're doing an, an amazing job of raising those two and yeah once again Thanks. you should be very proud um I think you also asked my next question, which is why do you what do you hope to change? And I think uh, you could, as you as you can tell, literally talk all day about it because you're that mm. impassioned about it, um, and it means that much to you. And I think um, by once again, like we said uh, in the introduction uh, episode, I'm reiterating today, and I'm sure it'll be something that we will reiterate, continue to reiterate through numerous other episodes. You know, really trying to make a change in some way, shape or form. We're not quite sure what that will look like or how mm. it will. And I guess that's the exciting part, but, you know, to get it onto agendas, you know, higher up, higher up the food chain, if you like, um, you know, to m make it the forefront. I think you've also touched upon some other areas. I think one huge discussion we're going to have at some point is, 
is that focus on well-being versus what is deemed to be success um yeah. I think that's a huge discussion point um and I'm really looking yeah. forward to having that discussion with you because I'm curriculum based uh you're pastoral based well, I know we've got very similar outlooks on it but nevertheless it's a discussion that I'm looking forward to having so um with that said and once again I can't thank you enough for sharing your reasons behind uh why we're here or why you're here um running this podcast the last three questions we mentioned them in episode one um so we're going to ask these to every guest that we that comes on the show because we think that they're super unhappy so uh, super unhappy super important i read the question put an un in front of it um so yeah the first one the first one is are you happy i would say yeah i feel um i am i'm very fortunate I'm very fortunate. I don't think, as I've already said, you can't be happy all day, every day. And I definitely think my my mental well-being has taken um, taken a hit this last year in particular. It's been challenged. And I have, I'm not coming on here to say I'm my mental health and my mental well-being is incredible because I think if it was, maybe I wouldn't feel so passionate. I've definitely had dips in my life. And but I feel like I've been fortunate enough to come through them and I can recognize that roller coaster. So, yes, I would say I am. I am a happy person. I love to find happiness in every day and it can be the most simplest of things. So overall, yeah, I am fortunate enough to say that I think I am. I am happy on a general basis. Yeah, I think so. And I think what summarizes that you've said it to me a number of times is like you you say silver linings. So silver you know, linings. Silver linings always look for in your day that silver lining. One one thing was was really good about your day, whether it was a bowl of frosties that was amazing in the morning. Even 100%. if it's that, it, it, that's a positive to take out of the day, right? So yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. The second yeah. question: are you healthy? Yeah, I've, do you know what, Neil, this, um, I have really taken, it's one of the things that I think has probably made me happy recently is I have actually recently turned 40. Um, <clears throat> so I really had to like, realize that getting older, I've had to, you know, take, I can't, I can't get away with eating so many crisps and chocolate. <laughs> so I have, I have decided to approach my life, um, healthier and that's included um more better exercise and for me more sleep which sounds crazy but that is so important and that's something we'll come on to in one of our episodes um the power of sleep and so I definitely I am living my life with a much healthier outlook than I have done in a long time and I am prioritizing myself and my body to hopefully be the best it can be. And that then ripples out and impacts my family around me and those then around me. So yes, I am, I would say at the moment, I'm doing all right on healthiness. Could nice. be better, but all right, yeah. Yeah, I think healthiness is one of the, well, it depends how you determine it, but you know, I think it's one of those things that you, you can always be better at it, right? I think is it, there's always something that you know i shouldn't have had that half of easter egg that i had with my cup of tea at five o'clock today you know it's all of but yeah good to good to hear that um yeah you you've 
retact your approach, I guess, to it. I have because um, yeah. you are you are in general a very healthy person. Not you know it, that I've well, known of you anyway. In general. In general, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and and the final one, and just a reminder that these three words, happy, healthy, and comfortable, have all come from the Oxford English Dictionary definition of well-being. Um, so that's why we broke it up into these three questions. And are you comfortable? Yeah, I would say I feel that one. I do. Feel, I am. I do feel comfortable. I'm. I feel for the first time in a long time, I'm comfortable in my own skin. Um, I feel happy in I well I've always felt happy in my relationships I'm very fortunate uh, to have an incredibly supportive husband um, who is a wonderful daddy to our girls my own family my mum and my siblings are incredible as are my nieces and my extended family and my friends including Mr Neil Thomas um, and so yeah I I am I am comfortable. I am in that way. Yeah, very lucky. Great. And what I'm really looking forward to with our guests is is uh, seeing how they define those questions because they, they yes, can be I'm in, excited. Yeah, they they can be interpreted in lots of different ways. I think comfortable, like mm. for me, it's not about this because obviously I'm going to think deeper about it. But instantly, the first connecting word that came up was financially. I don't know why, but that you know, mm-hmm. are you financially? comfortable so um you know so i will be uh, asking you that one yeah don't don't ask me no um but yeah i mean (laughs) you know when you think about it a little bit more though i think snap system one type thinking my answer Mm. was financially but i think you know if i go system two thinking which is a bit slower and more detailed then yeah it's a it's a very deep question i think um and then finally so to finish up our guest podcasts we're gonna ask for uh Three rules for achieving well-being. Okay, so my three simple rules for achieving well-being are to be kind to yourself. I think that's really important. To surround yourself with like-minded people. So um, I would call them the radiators in life, the people that uh, bring you bring you heat and warmth not the yep. drain pipes no no um, one likes a drain pipe no, no one likes a drain pipe and finally just finding the joy that silver lining in every day um whether it be a run whether it be a bowl of frosties like Neil's had um and that would be my three things be kind to yourself surround yourself with like-minded people and just find the joy in every day Absolutely love it, Sash James. Thank you ever so much for being our very first guest on our podcast um, okay. and and giving our listeners, I think more importantly, you know, as I said at the start, that context as to why you and I are sitting here doing this um, uh, on a variety of different evenings for half an hour or so, um, mm. I think is you've uh, perfectly explained and captured why uh, well-being is such an important aspect of your life, um, but also, you know, moving forward, hopefully helping out other people with it as well. Um, Yeah, so thank you ever so much. I loved it. Thank you very much. And thank you everybody for listening. And we look forward to having Mr. Neil Thomas on for the next episode. Yeah, look forward to it. All right, all the best, bye. Bye.